In the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, we're going to be once again looking at the first words in sermon form from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Called the Beatitudes. And would everyone please stand for the reading of God's word. Amen. Matthew, chapter 5. Starting at verse 2, we find these words. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm going to stop right there. And today, we want to continue in our series of lessons on Jesus, the making, the mind, and the ministry. And today, we want to talk about the Beatitudes, part three. The Beatitudes, part three. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing His words. Yeah. 
Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, the Beatitudes, part 3. In our previous studies of the Beatitudes, we find that Jesus Christ has come on the scene in his ministry in full motion. He has healed the sick, the lame, the halt. He's given sight to the blind. He's given hearing to the deaf. He's given the ability to speak to those who are dumb. But now on the side of the hill, ex-cathedra, at his chair, he begins to preach with authority. Not authority of the scribes and the Pharisees, but authority from heaven. His first sermon shocks the people under his hearing. Because we realize that within the multitudes that we find here in verse 1, we have all manners of thinking. We have religious context that consists of the Pharisees that believed that the power of God was in tradition. We have the religious sect called the Sadducees who believed that the power of God was in modern technology in their time. Everything modern and forget everything that was old. But then we have the Essenes. They believed that the way to find the power of God was to get away from everybody else and to separate themselves. And then lastly, the political activists, the zealots, who believed the power of God was in political activism and overthrowing through political and military means the kingdom of Rome. But here Jesus steps on the scene and shocks them all because he comes with a word that's different than all four sects would even imagine that it could be. Jesus starts out and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. So Jesus starts out with a shocking word that says, if you don't come to me broken, if you don't come to me with a contrite spirit and realize that you are spiritually bankrupt, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you will not see the salvation of the Lord unless you come first saying that there's nothing in you that's worthy of interest into the kingdom of God. And then he says to them, he says, once you get that, then you should mourn over your own sins. Because now that you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt, in order to be comforted, you must mourn. You must have the realization that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And inside of me is nothing good so I mourn. But then it extends not only to the mourning of your own sins, but the mourning of the sins of your neighbors. Because after all, that is not just you that's in trouble, but your neighbors too. He says, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us do you hear in that prayer? It's not just about give me, but it's about your neighbor too. So not only mourning for the sins of your own, but also the sins of others. And we talked about how do we laugh 
at the vulgarities that we see on TV and in the world when we're out with our co-workers and they're making all kind of vulgar jokes? Or do we mourn over their sinful state? Or do we just go along and tell dirty jokes ourselves? But Jesus is saying those who enter the kingdom will mourn because they understand the situation and how dire it is that people are going to hell because they have not bowed down to the Lord, the Savior. They have not bowed down to the king. But then verse 3 brings something shocking to their minds as well. Even though verse 2 allows us to see that he begins to open his mouth, we see that the kingdom of God cannot be entered in verse 3 unless you're first broken. Verse 3 and verse 4 goes on to allow us to see that if you're not mourning over your sins, then you don't have the heart that God is looking for. But then we move on to verse 5. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now here Jesus is talking to a people that's proud. I mean, we are the Israelites. We are Judah. We are the northern kingdom. We are the southern kingdom. We are the people of God. At one point, Jesus said to the leaders, he said, If the Son of Man sets ye free, ye shall be free indeed. And they responded by saying, We are the children of Abraham, and we are under bondage to no man. Even they did not want to admit that they were under the auspices and the control of the Roman occupation. They were proud. And they did not want to bow in a contrite spirit to anyone. But the Lord comes in with this word to let them know that if you do not submit yourself to the Lord, if you do not get yourself in the right posture, you will not enter the kingdom of the Lord. So today as we begin to deal with verse 5, we begin to deal with blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. There's three things that I want to look at today in your hearing. I want to look at how the world views meekness. How God views meekness. And what does it look like to be meek? Amen. Sister Olivia, would you come up? Sister Olivia is going to read from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. There should be three definitions for meek. Now listen to what the most authoritative dictionary says in this world about what meekness is. Number one, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Number two, deficient in spirit and courage. And number three, not violence or strong. Amen. Now listen, in that second definition, in the second definition, they said without spirit or courage. Do you see what the world thinks of meekness? Basically, they're saying that meekness is cowards. It's cowardice. 
And that's why I contend so many times that we as the church of God do not take our cues from the world. Because the world does not understand the things of God. The kingdom of God is 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of this world. We are not conformed to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the renewing of our minds are renewed by the word of God. God comes into this culture and he throws a sword in it. He divides the culture from his people. We are to be a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are to be set apart, be ye separate. Because if we listen to the cues of the world, they'll have us all twisted up about what it means to be a child of God. So now that we've seen how the world has cast meekness as cowardice, let us see what meekness really is. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. So he's saying happy are the meek. If we listen to the world, he say, happy are the cowards. And that don't make sense, does it, Brother Wheeler? Happy are the cowards. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So let us look at this closer and we realize that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If meekness was all about what the world says, no way, no how would we ever inherit the earth because we would be a bunch of cowards. And the Bible in Revelation says those cowards will be cast into everlasting torment. So that must not mean, that must not be what meekness actually means. Because we see that those who are meek shall inherit the earth. Not this earth that we currently live in, but Revelation lets us know that there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. The new earth without thorns and thistles, without prejudice, without murder, without lying, without theft. A new earth that will be the king of kings and the laws of lords will sit on his throne in Zion, up on that hill in Jerusalem, and he will be the king who rules with an iron rod. But for his people, it will be a place of peace and a place of joy forevermore. But it is the meek that shall inherit the earth. So what does it mean to be meek? If it's not cowardice, what could it possibly mean? When you are trying to get an understanding of a concept in the word of God, Scripture will interpret Scripture. Paul the Apostle lets us know that all the Scripture is left for our own admonition, our own warning, our own instruction, our own correction, and our own direction. He allows us to see this, so let us look at what Scripture says and gives us a story of what meekness is all about. So I'm going to turn for a moment to Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, 
we find in verse 1, it says, Then Abraham went from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lots with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where, where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar where he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, Please, there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is it not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. This little passage of Scripture is a wonderful example of what meekness is all about. First of all, in the context of chapter 13, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He allows Abraham to know that those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Everywhere where his feet goes will be his inheritance. He had told him that he's going to make him a father of many nations. He said, as far as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores, he would make him a father of many nations. Now, here in this context, here is his nephew, Lot. Now, his nephew's herdsmen have got into a fight with Abram's herdsmen. Because they saw that they couldn't all dwell in the same place. Now Abraham could have said to Lot, Look, nephew, I have the covenant with God. Look, let me tell you something. It's with me, and this blessing is for me. All you are is a parasitic relative. All you are is one that's on the ride for a free one. But that's not what he said, did he? He didn't say he was just mooching on him. But meekness took the power that Abraham had and put it under control. Abraham had all the power to put Lot out of the way or even have him killed if he wanted to. But his meekness was power under control. He had the mind to hold back what he could have done, what he had even a right to do 
so that he could bless his nephew. And he had every right to prick whichever part of the country he wanted to be in. But he allowed his nephew to pick, even though his nephew was not given the covenant. So that is, for us, what meekness looks like. It's when we decide to put aside our own rights for somebody else. Paul said it, I believe, in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, would you rather be wronged for the right? Even though you are right, sometimes you may have to say, I'm sorry for the unity of your brothers. You have every right and every power at that time to really give it to them because they've been wrong about you. But a meek person can say, you know, that's all right. I'm going to take the wrong even though I'm right for the unity of me and my brother or sister. And that's what Abraham did here. He could have done anything to Lot at this time. But he decided to lower himself so that Lot could be blessed even though Lot people were in the wrong. Amen. Meekness. Power under control. Every believer has power. The Bible lets us know that there is power of life and death in the tongue. That we have to be careful what we say and what we do. We can put a person onto a path of blessing or on the curse. We can cause a person to come in the church or forever stay out. But can we, when somebody who doesn't know any better does something against you, can we absorb it enough to keep the unity with that person that that person might be blessed? That's what Abraham was looking at. Abraham wanted to see his nephew blessed. Even though the conflict had occurred and he had every right to put Lot out. He had every right to say, you mooching relative of you. Nephew, you don't have nothing. I brought you along for the ride. I'm going to do what I want to do and whatever's left you can have. But that's not meekness. That's arrogance and pompousness. That's pride. And the Lord resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. One more example of what meekness looks like. 2 Samuel chapter 16, starting at verse 5. It's a real interesting story about King David during his tumultuous time with Saul. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. You will find these words. Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously as he came and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left also Shimei said thus when he cursed come out come out 
you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought you upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please, let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Jerusalem? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursings this day. Another very interesting text. David is in trouble. And David knows it with the Lord. David, by this point, he has gone through all manner of trouble. From being the victorious king to being the adulterer. Then to having the husband of the adulteress killed. Then the Lord taking his firstborn and telling him that the sword will never leave his house. This King David. But this King David in this text, you've got Shimei cussing him in all ways but loose. Shimei still doesn't have the right to talk to the king any old kind of way. Because after all, David is the king. David is to still be respected as the king. And the text allows us to see that his mighty men were all around him. And I want to put the spotlight on his nephew in this text. And his nephew's name is Abishai. When you read the Samuels and you find out who Abishai is, you find out that Abishai is a mighty man of valor. Abishai killed a giant the same size of Goliath with sword-to-sword combat. The Bible said that this giant had six toes on each foot and six fingers on each hand. He was a giant. He was an ominous individual. But Abishai, being a mighty man of valor, slew him all by himself. And Abishai, as the leader of David's military, slew many. And surely he could have went over to Shimei real quick, fast, in a hurry, and cut his head off, just like he said. Now that's power. But David shows power under control. According to David's position, David could have took the authority as king and said, cut his head off, because he has no business 
disrespecting the king. But David in his meekness saw the holiness of a holy God and saw the sinfulness of himself. And he allowed these events to occur without allowing his men to kill him because he had his power under control. You know, sometimes, saints of God, we're being afflicted by other folks, not because of other people, but sometimes because of ourselves. Sometimes we deserve it. Sometimes we have done wrong, even if we don't know it. And sometimes we need to be able to take some of our own medicine. Sometimes we need to hear somebody tell us about ourselves. And this Shimei, even though he was out of order in one way, David saw him in order in another. From the society that they lived in, he was out of order. But from the spiritual, he was in order. David knew he needed to hear some things. And he needed the Lord to have some grace and some mercy on him. And we need God's grace and mercy too. We're not always right. We may be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. But there are days when we have quenched him. And we have done what we wanted to do in the sight of the Lord. And sometimes it's just retribution for our own doing. Sister Butler sometimes say, and I've always kept up with that, that we can choose the sin, but we can't choose the consequence. Now, ain't that right? We can choose the sin, but we can't choose the consequence. But if we are to be meek, those that will inherit the new earth, we've got to keep our power under control. Sometimes we can go ahead and fight back when folks are saying things or, or strike out. But is that meekness? Is that what God is looking for us to be in this world? I contend that it is not because God wants to show a different realm. He wants to show a different people that's not of the world. Or not an eye for an eye. Not a tooth for a tooth. But can you take a slap on the face and still turn the other way? Can we do that but it is blessed for us to be that way? The world and even our own flesh says, oh no. I ain't let nobody do me like that. If they talk about me, I'm going to talk about them back. If they do this to me, I'm going to do this to them. We're always looking tit for tat. But Jesus is showing us another way. A shocking way that where we will be righted for the wrong. Wasn't Jesus righted for the wrong of all mankind? Here is the second one in the Trinity. Here is one who knew no sin. Who came down through 40 and two generations. Put on human flesh. Walked upon us. And was whipped all night long. Who was spat upon and put a crown of thorny thorns on his head. But he never said a mumbling word. The greatest of all meek that he could have called a legion of angels. But he didn't say a mumbling word. There is our example. 
For he had every right to call down a legion of angels and destroy the land because he had done nothing wrong. But you and I, we sin, we do wrong. But yet at the same time, God is saying, be meek. Be ready for the wrong sometimes. When your sister or brother says something to you that you don't like, sometimes you ought to just shrug it off so that you and your brother or you and your sister can stay united. But the story went on to let us know that this one who was meek upon all meekness, he stayed on a cross. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He was on that cross from the sixth to the ninth hour and darkness was all over the land. And then he died. He never said a mumbling word. He never came down from that cross. He never let his power get out of control. But if he had have come down from that cross, we would not have been here today. So it's just good to know that our Jesus is meek and he's mine. And so Jesus, they took him down from that cross and they put him in a borrowed tomb. He was in that grave all night Friday nights. He was in that grave all day Saturday. He was in that grave all night Saturday nights. But he was early before the crickets began to sing. He was early before the frogs began to croak. 
Are you ready? The Lord came right now. Do you know your business is fixed?
Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. 